We continue in our look at the book of Isaiah. Isaiah has been dealing with these first in these first 12 chapters very much with the coming of the Messiah. The tone is going to change and the judgment is going to begin in chapter 13, but here we have a, a summary of the good things that have come already and what we should expect. In this short six-verse chapter, we have two, as it were, songs of praise to God and then prophetic instruction. Let's hear what the Lord has to say to his people. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known to in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Let us give thanks and ask a blessing on the Word of God. Father, we do thank you for giving us the Scriptures. And we confess that all too often we have not been as thankful as we ought to be for this precious gift. What a good thing it is that we have the Bible so accessible, so near at hand that we may read and understand. And Lord, we pray that you would give us an earnest desire to do so more and more, to, to be found in your word, studying, reading, meditating, thinking about who you are and all that you have done, that we would praise your name. For indeed, great is the salvation you have bestowed upon your people. And how good it is that we can rejoice in this and sing praise to you. We pray that we would worship you now in the hearing of your word. And that we would lay it up in our hearts that we might not sin against you. But we might do your holy will with joy and gladness. We ask that you teach us to be a praying and praising people. Who worship you at all times through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. There's always a danger of trying to set dates and figure out you know, exactly when things are going to happen and what day we're talking about. And that's true in the book of Isaiah. We've come across this mention of a day, and we find it throughout the Scriptures. In that day, you will say, what is that day? It's the day of the Messiah, the day of the Christ who is to come, the one whom... Isaiah has been looking forward to, particularly in, in chapters 6 and 9, when he speaks about the Messiah to come. And when the Messiah comes, he says, Then you will give thanks to you, O Lord, for you were angry with me, and your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. We've sung a lot about comfort already today. Uh, comfort will come up in Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort comes up in Luke chapter 2, when the angels come and speak of peace and good tidings of great joy to those who are waiting for the coming Messiah. But you may remember that when Joseph 
and Mary take the baby Jesus to the temple and they show him to Zechariah. Zechariah tells Mary that he's come to bring the rising and falling of many in Israel and beyond and that a sword will pierce her own heart as well. And so when we think about the loving kindness of God, it's always, it's always balanced by his righteous judgment, his perfect justice. And we must always remember that. We don't like to think about, about God being angry. Some people want to deny that God ever is angry. Now, God's anger is not like man's anger. Uh, you know, we get angry, we get upset, sometimes for no good reason, and our tempers flare up. Well, the Lord doesn't do that. He doesn't have little temper tantrums. He doesn't get angry and then, you know, calms down. He's, he is imperturbable, we might say. He's immutable. He doesn't change. But he is angry with sin. So what is this, this language we're given here? I will give thanks to you, Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away. And I think we have to see this in light of, of Christ and his messianic work, how he is the sacrifice to take away not just sin, but God's wrath against sin. And we shouldn't be alarmed at this or think, well, you know, love and anger are incompatible, totally, um, you know, oil and water, they can't be mixed. Psalm 103, the end of which we read as a call to worship this morning, speaks of God's love in great detail, how he loves us as a father loves his children, how he remembers our frame and how we were made, and how he is gracious to us. But Psalm 103 also speaks about God's anger, anger toward those who are his people and his beloved. He does not always chide, we read in verse 9, nor does he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. He is not always chiding us, nor will he keep his anger forever. But he doesn't just swallow his anger. He deals with it righteously. And the anger that God has towards sin is poured out fully and completely on Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary. We were once... By nature, all of us, children of wrath. We don't like to hear that. We don't like to think about, well, one time God was angry with us, and he had every right to be angry with us. Do you like it when people get angry with you? Do you like it when they, they raise their voice or say things to you that hurt your feelings, make you feel bad about yourself, even if they're true? We don't like that. We don't like to feel anger. We especially don't like to feel God's anger against us. But God hates sin. And because he is the Holy One who dwells among you, as Isaiah chapter 12 ends, we need to remember that as a holy God, he hates sin. He is angry with it. Not a flare-up, not a temper tantrum, but a righteous indignation for his holiness has been insulted he has not been treated as he ought to be treated. We have not loved him and responded to him. We have not given thanks to him. 
And we are willing that day. When we, when we see the day of Christ Jesus, and I want to say that this is, this is not one day. You know, we're not, we're not, we can't pop it on the calendar for all of us to say. But when you, in your life, and, and maybe you've already experienced it, I hope you all have. But if you haven't, it's something to look forward to. When you, when you finally see Jesus as Messiah, the Savior from sin, the one who takes away the wrath of God so that you are no longer under his wrath, but only receiving his love. The, the chastening is over. The, the chiding is done. Now you feel only God's love. In that day, you will give thanks to the Lord. And thankfulness is always the attitude for those who believe. And if we're honest with ourselves, we're, we're not nearly as grateful. We're not nearly as thankful as we should be. You know, we've just come through the, through the season of thanksgiving, both in Canada and the U.S., right? These last several months, we've gone through the season of thanksgiving. And, and people make a big fuss about it, but it's, it's more about getting more, isn't it? And, and having sumptuous meals and enjoying family and friends rather than giving thanks to God. Every day should be a day of thanksgiving. Every day as we encounter our Savior and we see how much he has loved us and what he has done for us. I mentioned you this morning as we, as we take the Lord's Supper, and let's, let's do this frequently. As we take the Lord's Supper, remember this is a cup of blessing for which we are to give thanks because Jesus Christ has indeed drained the cup of God's wrath. There is not one drop of God's anger toward those who are in Christ Jesus. And it's a strange and interesting thing, isn't it? That even on the cross, as the Father turned his back on his Son and could not look upon him, it was his anger at our sin. It was his anger toward our misdeeds that made him turn away. Nothing that, that Jesus had done. Nothing that the second person of the Trinity had done, but only what we had done and what he was bearing for us. And when we think about that, <coughs> excuse me, we should be very thankful. We should be thankful once a year. We should be thankful every day. And we shouldn't be thankful once a day, but every moment of every day as we remember what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And we receive his comfort. We sing in one of our hymns, when Satan tempts me to despair, I look above and see him there. We, we look to Christ. We see him. When we're, when we're tempted to despair, we, we need to turn from ourselves. We need to turn away from Satan who's telling us, well, you're not good enough. When Satan tells us you're not good enough, we can say, yes, you're right. <laughs> but the Lord Jesus Christ is good enough, and I'm thankful for him. I have a great gratitude in my, in my heart for the Lord Jesus Christ, who is good enough. Behold, God is my salvation. And that we particularly understand, the God of our salvation, the triune God. For all three persons of the Trinity are involved in, in bringing salvation to lost human beings and bringing them back to himself. The Father sends the Son into the world and gives to him a people. The Lord Jesus Christ takes upon himself the sins of his people. And the Spirit applies the work of Christ and works faith in us so that we might know that God is our salvation. So all the the sneers and slanders and accusations of Satan do not tear us down. 
We are built up by the Lord Jesus Christ in whom we trust. And because we trust in him, we will not be afraid. And isn't it amazing that, that what comes from this saving grace of God operative in our lives is that we sing. Lord God is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Singing has always been an integral part of Christian worship. It's always been an important part. And that's why it's so important, I think. I'm using the word important too many times. It's very good that we should sing together as a congregation. I think it's very sad when, when the singing of God's praise is relegated to a, to a professional choir or a praise band. We are all to sing God's praise. We're to do it to the best of our ability. And we're not to say, well, I'm not very good at it, so I won't do it at all. If you have gratitude in your heart, if you have joy, if you have been saved, then how can you not sing? The God of our salvation and giving praise and thanks to him is part of our praise. It's an important part. I keep saying important. I've got to find another. I need a synonym. It's essential. There should be no such thing as a non-praising Christian. Sometimes we don't feel like praising. Sometimes we don't feel the, the full weight of joy that we should have when we see the, the comfort that God has prepared for us in his Son. And I think that's often because we take our eyes off Christ. We take our eyes off the Savior. We forget that it is the day of Messiah. It is the day that God has made, and we are to rejoice and to be glad in it. God is our strength and our song. He has become our salvation. He saves us from sin and death, which means that he saves us, most importantly, from ourselves. You think about it that way? God saves us from ourselves because left to ourselves, we're like the people described in Psalm 37 that we read together. We go our own way. We're wayward. We're we're hostile toward God and man. If we're left to ourselves, we go to destruction. But God saves us from ourselves. And he gives us to drink from the water of life, from the wells of salvation. That's a beautiful picture that Jesus knew full well when he speaks to the woman of Samaria outside of Sychar when she comes to draw from the well. She comes and she's thirsty it's the middle of the day. It's hot. She's by herself. She's probably been ostracized by her neighbors. She doesn't want to come with the other women and be seen with them, so she comes by herself. And as she comes to the well, Jesus asks her, Give me a drink. And the Samaritan woman says, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samarians. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and you knew who was saying it to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Are you, where will you get that living water? Are you greater than our father 
Jacob, he gave this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Jesus is, is drawing the spiritual connection between salvation and the water of life. And this woman still doesn't get it. And she says, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She's thinking of herself. She's thinking, you know, I have to come out here by myself and draw the water in the heat of the day because I don't want to be around the other women because they say nasty things about me because of my lifestyle and I don't like it. And I don't want to have to come and get water. And it would be so much nicer if I just had this, this abundant supply of water. And Jesus is talking about the water of salvation, the water of, of life, with which John, who records this passage, ends the scriptures for us with talk of that water of life. Come and drink freely from the wells of salvation, God says, at the end of, of Revelation chapter 21. Let me give you a direct quote rather than trying to remember. Jesus says, and the Spirit and the Bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who desires take the water of life without price. This is what Jesus is talking about with the woman of Samaria. This is what Isaiah is prophesying about, the water of life. The living water that becomes a well springing up from within a person so that they know for certain that God loves them and has provided their salvation. Water is a picture of life throughout the scriptures and a picture of God's praise and thank you as it, as it flows out from Ezekiel's temple, from under the throne, out into the world, becoming deeper and deeper and stronger and swifter until it encompasses everything. Because it's always been God's purpose and plan to save for himself a people from every nation, tongue, and tribe. I'm sure in Isaiah's day, they still didn't understand that. They had this exclusive mindset. Well, this is just for us. God is our God. You know, the Philistines have Dagon, and, and these other guys have Chemosh, and these other guys have this God, and, but we've got Yahweh. He's our God. The God of Israel is the God of the whole earth. Psalm 87 speaks of the beauty of God's dwelling place. On the holy mountain stands the city he has founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than the, all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. And among those, whom I meant, no, among those who know me, I mentioned Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre and Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her, for the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the peoples. This was one born there. Notice how God says, they're, they come to Mount Zion, the, the place that I love, my dwelling place. And though they came from Philistia and Cush, though they came from Rahab and Babylon and Tyre, yet it will be said of them, this was one who was born there, for the Lord himself will establish her. And then Psalm 87 ends with these words. And maybe you've read them before, and you've kind of gone, well, this, this seems strange. It seems like a peculiar ending. Verse 7 of Psalm 87. Singers and dancers alike say, 
All my springs are in you. You see, there's a link between this water and this life and this praise and this worship of God. We're, we're to be filled with joy because God is our salvation. We're to be filled with thanksgiving and praise to him that he has looked upon us in favor. And not just us, but many others. He's brought us together into the kingdom. You know, it's, it's exciting to go to a church that's truly multinational and see all the different cultures and experience all the different languages and everything that's going on there. It makes me wonder what heaven's going to be like. You know, there's not going to be any, any language barriers. There's not going to be any culture barriers, but, but there's still going to be differences, I believe. God is not just going to, you know, flatten us all. We're all going to be the same. We're not going to be. God isn't going to destroy our, our uniqueness and our individuality. It's part of his saving us from ourselves. He, he keeps us as ourselves, but glorified, redeemed, renewed. Everything made fresh and pleasing in his sight and to one another. And so we come and we, we see in the Bible this picture of, of water, water that brings life and salvation and hope, and it doesn't belong to us alone. You know, this... The Samaritan woman says, this, this well's deep. It's Jacob's well. He, he dug it. His sons drank from it. He drank from it. It's ours. You may remember in the book of Genesis, there's all that squabbling between Abraham and his, his um, others about, about who owns the well and, and who gets to drink from it. They're always fighting over what, but not with the water of life. There's more than enough. It's, it's full. It's free. Come, drink, be satisfied. You don't, you don't have to worry about like, you know, coming to water your flocks at the right time. or anything. God says, here it is. Here it is. I, I give it to you. It's, it's for you. It will refresh. It will satisfy. It alone can bring you everlasting life. And so we give thanks to the Lord and we call upon his name. And we make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Again, you see this outward focus of of the day of the Messiah. It's not just inward. It's not just, oh, we're we're good here and everything's fine. No, We, we send forth the message of God's goodness and his grace and of his loving kindness. The water flows freely. The water is, is life-giving. It's a picture of salvation again and again in the Scriptures. The prophet Ezekiel will say, you, we sprinkled with clean water, and you will be clean. Jeremiah, who comes after Isaiah, will chastise the people for clinging to their broken cisterns that would not hold water and turning away from God, the source of all sustenance and life. Sing praise to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. You see the echoes of Psalm 87 and of God's word in his covenant promise to Abraham that through him all the nations will be blessed. As we were reminded this morning, we're to make disciples of all the nations. We We aren't simply to stop here. And Jesus, sending forth his disciples, said, begin in Jerusalem, but don't stop there. You'll go to all Judea and then to Samaria, and yes, to the uttermost ends of the earth. And we believe that is still the case. We're still reaching out with the gospel. God has made himself known in the day of Messiah. And in this day, 
we tell others, rejoice, come, drink, be satisfied, be, be, have your thirst quenched, your spiritual longing met with the water of life. And then you don't just go away. You don't just you know, go and say, well, I got what I came for and off I go. No, you shout and sing for joy, inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. The response to God's goodness, love, and care for us must always be rejoicing in the singing of his praise. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. Maybe you were born in Philistia, maybe in Cush, maybe in Tyre, maybe in Canada, maybe in the United States, maybe in Holland or some other country. But you are an inhabitant of Zion, the city that God loves and that he has prepared in which he protects and keeps. Great is his name, for he is the Holy One of Israel, and he is in our midst. You know, that's something else that, that should affect us when we come to worship. As we, as we come with thanksgiving and remembering all that God has done for us, we should also have a feeling that God is present with That's a bad way of putting it. It's not just a feeling. It's not just a feeling. I feel God is here. I've heard people say that, and it kind of makes me cringe a little bit. Uh, We should know. We should be certain that God is present with us, that we aren't just here alone, and it's not just what we can see, and it's not just my voice you hear, but the Spirit is prompting you from the Word, and you know that Jesus is present because he said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And we should be cultivating our spiritual antennae that we should know that and realize it and not simply be driven by emotions. Yes, Christian worship should engage our emotions, but it shouldn't be driven by emotions. You know, we don't, we don't just sing ourselves into a frenzy or, or you know, certain kinds of music that will that'll excite us and get us going, but we sing the songs of Zion. We sing the psalms. We sing God's praises. We, we sing with our hearts and with our minds, and not just with our voices. Well, I, I hope we do anyway. We're, that's how we're to sing. That's how we're to praise God with, with the entirety of our beings. For he is great in our midst, the Holy One of Israel. Again, let's understand that. The Holy One of Israel is the Holy One of all God's covenant people. That's, that's who Israel is, the covenant people of God. Paul will reveal this clearly in Romans by the Holy Spirit's power. He'll say, not all Israel are Israel, but those who are the spiritual offspring of Abraham, those who share his faith, are heirs of the covenant and have been likewise justified with Abraham, who believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Do you believe that today is the day when you hear God's voice, when you know his presence, and you praise him and thank him for the Lord Jesus Christ, and that you can say with Isaiah, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. What a wonderful confession to make each and every day. 
be a good way to start the morning, wouldn't it? As you wake up in bed, say, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. So I will trust and not be afraid. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that though there are many things in this life that seem frightening, yet you are greater than them all. And we are to fear you, not with a slavish, frightful fear, but with a holy and reverent awe. For you made the world and everything in it. You made the universe beyond what we can see or understand. And we know that you hold it together. Your word spoke it into existence. Your will continues to uphold it. Nothing moves from its course apart from your decree. And we thank you that you have decreed salvation for your people. And that we are to be a thankful people, a grateful people, a people who rejoice in your dear presence and your loving kindness to us in your Son. We pray that we would love you with all our hearts, souls, minds, and strength. And that we would sing praise to you with joyful hearts. We would do so for the praise and the honor and the glory of our Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.